Welcome to the Man Up to Cancer podcast. I'm Trevor Maxwell. I'm a stage four colon cancer survivor, and I've got a message for other men. You don't have to go through this alone. What does it mean to man up to cancer? It means reaching out instead of isolating. It means having the courage to accept help along the way. To me, manning up isn't just about being tough. It's about knowing that we're stronger and smarter as a pack than we are as lone wolves. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Man Up to Cancer podcast. Trevor is coming to you here from Man Up headquarters in lovely and historic Cape Elizabeth, Maine. I do not have Kellen with me today, so I'm flying solo. It's a little unnerving, you know, but who's going to give me crap today? Maybe my guest will give me crap today. I am psyched to have Dr. Peter Bayich. He is a urologist, fellowship trained specialist in sexual medicine, male genital reconstruction, I know, this is spot on for our audience, folks, Uh, and men's health at the highly respected Cleveland Clinic in Cleveland, Ohio. Dr. Bayich, thanks for coming by the show. Thanks so much for having me. First things first, we got to get this out of the way. Your reviews on the Cleveland Clinic website, you've had 62 patients have judged you, which is kind of crazy that they've taken the time to do that. And you have a 4.9 out of 5 rating. What I want (laughs) to know is what happened to that one-tenth of a point? (laughs) I don't know. I think that uh, that guy couldn't find parking or something. <laughs> <laughs> the angry, angry parking guy. I was just, you know, reading your bio and stuff. That's pretty darn cool. I mean, dozens of patients and all the reviews are awesome. In all seriousness, what is it about you as a doctor that you think that connects with your patients in that way? I think that, you know, I try to listen to every guy's story and be non-judgmental and, and really, you know, take the time to hear what they're experiencing. You know, with my practice focusing on male sexual health, I really kind of have heard it all. So I think a lot of guys are worried that there's going to be judgment or embarrassment. And then, sure, you know, when they come and talk about it and see, okay, this is something that we can handle. This is something that we can help you with. I think they're always very happy to hear that. So it must be weird, though, as a doctor to be rated like that, like the same way we rate like restaurants or hotels, like, you know, five <laughs> stars would recommend Dr. Bayach is the best. It's, uh, you know, the times are certainly changing, but have to keep up on it and make sure that we're giving people the quality of care that they deserve and making sure that they're satisfied. So you see guys for sensitive problems in an area of the body where guys don't want to have problems and they certainly don't want to talk about them. Tell us a little bit about your background and how you got into your practice. I kind of... You know, in medical school, we really get exposed to pretty much everything. And I knew I wanted to do something with procedures and surgeries, but I wasn't quite sure what. And kind of by the, you know, partly by the process of elimination and also partly by just finding a group of people that I felt like I got along really well with, that's kind of how I ended up in urology. Now, through urology training, we do a lot of, uh, you know, major cancer surgeries and things like that. Yeah. Um, But kind of in, area of unmet need that I identified was really in the area of cancer survivorship and kind of focusing on helping men uh, get back their quality of life. And I really kind of got drawn to that. I mean, I love doing big cancer surgeries, but because of that unmet need, I felt like, you know, that would be an area I could contribute. So that's kind of why I decided to focus on sexual medicine, which is often something that's affected by cancer treatment. Uh, I also Absolutely. do a lot of, uh, you, you know, male urinary dysfunction, like incontinence, which a lot of men deal with after 
prostate cancer treatment. Uh, so yeah, it's a really rewarding area. Uh, it's a lot of quality of life restoring stuff. Um, a lot of times when patients get to me, their cancer's already under control. So we can really focus on just getting back to normal life. So the, you know, the man up to cancer movement is, is very much, uh, we overlap in a lot of ways. Like I'm all about encouraging guys to, wow, to just really be honest about what's going on with their cancer journey, the good, the bad, the ugly, and to, um, and to seek help that there is help available on any number of fronts and to seek help when it's available. Really what I saw along my journey is that as I started to seek help with my, with the issues that I needed help with, I just didn't see a bunch of guys out there doing the same. There's a lot of barriers when it comes to men and accepting that we need help and then accepting that help where it's available. Is that something that you were seeing in terms of that unmet need? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think there's generally a, a culture you know, in this country and beyond of men needing to be macho and kind of bottling it all in. And that extends to men who are going through prostate cancer treatment. And, yeah. you know, um, I think that it's really key to just kind of emphasize that these issues are common among men going through this and, and there are ways to help. And there's, there's nothing wrong with using the resources that are available to work on these things. Were there a couple uh, cases, like obviously not uh, disclosing identities or anything, but a couple of cases early on where you could see um, maybe you had someone who's really reluctant or maybe got dragged in to get help and then got the help and afterwards came to you and was like, Dr. Bayich, like this is life-changing for me. Thank you. Yeah. You know, through when I did my training in Chicago, I spent a lot of time working at the, the VA hospital there. And, you know, vets are a very unique population. Uh, you really can't speak. Shout out to all the vets, especially yep. in our in our Howling Place group. We have a lot of them. Yep, go ahead. Yep, I can't emphasize enough how incredible of an experience it was to work with them. But there were definitely some very macho guys who were very reluctant to be there, didn't want to talk about it. And then, you know, we slowly kind of worked them through, this is what's going on, this is what we can do. They ended up having treatment. And then at the end, we're very happy and you know, really, you could tell that their whole kind of attitude changed because they had a dramatic improvement in their quality of life, which improved their mood and improved their, you know, overall outlook on life. So I definitely seen a lot of that. And I've seen that from like the psychosocial piece where I was a member for a long time in a, in a support group over at the Dempsey Center here in Maine, and which is mostly female. Um, but I would go for weeks and, and sort of there'd be two or three guys maybe. And then I started facilitating and now I have, you know, I'm, I'm facilitating a men's group there, but in the general group, that's mostly women. We had a spouse drag in her husband who had advanced prostate cancer. And on the psychosocial piece, she was like, I'm forcing you to come in and, and be in a group. And he sat there and he was pissed off the whole time. So for like an hour, <laughs> he just folded his arms and was all grumpy. And then, and then at the end, he just broke down and I think the guy talked for probably 20 minutes straight and the, everyone in the room is crying and he was saying stuff that he had bottled up for like three or four years. And and so I see that on the emotional support side and, and you see it obviously in the clinical, I guess the physical side, right? Absolutely. And I think that the mental health component is really uh, underappreciated. I think that there's so many resources out there and, you know, we need to do a better job of making sure that guys are aware of these, that it, that it's a very non-threatening thing for them, that they feel that they can go and, you know, talk about these things because there is a lot of healing that can happen by, by discussing some of these issues either with an, you know, one-on-one -on -one or as part of more of a group uh, discussion with other people that are going through the same thing. Yeah, totally. And, and I want to say like, 
there's so many tools out there like that particular group worked on that night for that guy. But um, like I always say, there's so many tools out there and resources that aren't that don't look like traditional therapy, right? You don't have to go sit in a group or you don't have to go do talk about even talk about it really. But there are ways to connect with others and to get that kind of community and support that that maybe you're struggling with. So even discussion boards online, you know, for men who want to remain anonymous as they kind of start to talk about some yep. of these issues. That People who want to be more private. Yeah, yep. really a, a excellent option for men as well. So let's talk about uh, the Mention It campaign. Do you want to describe that for the folks who don't know what it is? You know, Mention It is essentially a yearly survey uh, that we started uh, putting on uh, about uh, five years ago. Uh, during Men's Health Month. And the goal is really to help better understand men's uh, health-related behaviors. You know, we know that men are not in general great about going to the doctor, uh, but we try to kind of identify some barriers to, to why that might be the case. Uh, so in previous years, we've studied the habits of men, you know, their partners, et cetera. Uh, but this year we really, well, I guess this past fall, now it's, you know, um, 2021, yep. but last yep. fall we, um, wanted to focus on how men were responding to the uh, COVID-19 pandemic. Uh, so that was the focus of this year's study. For those who are learning about this, Mention It is capital M-E-N. So this is, it's this all about men's health, Mention It campaign. And for the past five years, you've been running this. And I think you said you survey roughly a thousand men on, on topics. Yeah. So it's basically a sample of men that's kind of uh, representative of the overall population in the U.S. Um, uh, and th that's basically the, the population that fills out uh, the questionnaire. So I'll read some bullet points from some previous year's findings. And then I'd, I'd love to hear you talk about this past one. But some of the previous findings. Men are 25% less likely than women to take part in preventive care. 61% wait until something becomes unbearable to go to the doctor. <laughs> this is something that we give each other crap for in the group because our our group, the Howling Place group, which is men impacted by cancer, most of us have already been diagnosed with cancer and some of us are still having unbearable things happen in our life before we go to the doctor. So that's crazy. And 72% of men say they would rather clean toilets than go to the doctor. And I say to those men avoiding their screenings that could save their lives, Start scrubbing those toilets, guys, because I know you're not going. So those are three bullet points that kind of have stood out to me in prior years. Um, do you want to talk about those a little bit? Yeah. I mean, it just goes back to kind of what I said, the general, uh, you know, culture. Men don't like going to the doctor. They feel like you need to be macho. So um, we can't emphasize enough the importance of, you know, regular routine medical care, preventative health, um, screenings, et cetera. I mean, many serious conditions don't have any external symptoms until they're very, very severe. So by checking in regularly with a doctor in a very relaxed kind of conversation, uh, you can make sure that you're identifying any underlying issues that you may not know about. Absolutely agree. So if we want to get more men to go get a physical, to contact their, their primary care physician if they have one, to get one if they don't have one when something is wrong. What have you found that, are there things or themes that you have found that motivates them? Any messages that stick with men to, to really encourage them to break out of these old cycles and take care of their health? Yeah, I mean, just kind of being aware of what are the ways that some of these problems might rear their head. So men, you know, we commonly see men come to the doctor when there's something going wrong with their erections or when there's something going wrong with urination, okay? 
And although those might not seem like overly important aspects of life, you know, when it when you think about your heart and your brain and sure. other important organs, what you need to realize is that all of these things are kind of tied together. Okay, so erectile dysfunction, for example, can be the first sign of cardiovascular disease. And the reason for that is because the, the penis actually relies on some of the smaller arteries in the body for blood flow. So it can be kind of a canary in the coal mine situation where cardiovascular disease is affecting those arteries first. Well, guess, gotcha. what's, guess what can be next? You know, five, five, 10 years down the road, you may be looking at a heart attack. So that's why, you know, for men that I see, for example, with erectile dysfunction who have not seen a doctor previously, I regularly check their cholesterol and, and you know, blood pressure and things like that just to make sure we're not missing something. And a lot of times we find something that we didn't know about. Similarly with urinary issues, you know, for example, sometimes, although prostate enlargement is one of the more common, uh, probably the most common cause of urinary symptoms, particularly for men in their 50s, 60s, et cetera, uh, sometimes it can be, you know, urination problems can be the first sign of something like diabetes. I actually recently diagnosed a guy who had not had a primary care doctor with diabetes because he came in saying he was peeing too frequently. Mm. So all of these things can be linked to more serious conditions. And that's why it's really important, you know, not to just go to the gas station and pick up some supplement, uh, but to actually go and get a proper evaluation. A lot of men that I know really are proud of their role as a as a family person, like, hey, I'm here for my family and they can depend on me 100%. I'm always going to be here for you. Well, if you're always going to be there for them, then you you need to be seeing a doctor if something is, and not just when something is wrong, but for, you know, if you're getting older, you know, I'll, I'd like your take on that. Like at what age is does it make sense to make sure that you're having your, an, just an annual physical and some blood work. But, you know, if you want to be that person who's there for your loved ones, you got to be around and, and your health, you need to be proactive about your health. Yeah, so getting back to your, your first point there. So as part of our Mention It study, you know, that we just completed regarding the impact that COVID-19 has on men's health, you know, a majority of guys over 75% said that their stress level was increased. And when we asked mm. them about what those stressors were, concern for their family's health as number one, tied with that was concern over the economy, and way, way, way down on the list was concern over their own health, okay, which is... <laughs> Not surprising at all when you think about just attitudes of men in general. However, yeah. really important for men to realize that when it comes to your family's health and well-being, and if, if you're the breadwinner of your family, I mean, what more can you do for your family than ensuring that you're healthy, that you're going to be able to take care of them, et cetera? So it's really important to have that, have that perspective. Uh, and as far as, you know, when to get screened, I mean, Really, is, even in your 20s, you should be starting to have routine, you know, blood pressure monitoring, um, more specific men's health things like um, prostate cancer, for example. If you have a family history or if you're African-American, we generally recommend screening in your 40s. Uh, otherwise, uh, men who don't have a family history, uh, we start screening in your 50s. Yep. Colon cancer screening, you know, historically it started at 50, but, you know, it, that that is kind of getting pushed back more into the 40s now, um, and it, even younger if you have risk factors. So it's just it's just really important to, to establish with a primary care doctor. Start having those conversations about how how you can be proactive about your health, so that you can really enjoy that longevity and that long life and enjoy your time with your family. Dude, beautifully said. And and I think it's sometimes it's just. I know it's hard for some guys based on finances or logistics or whatever to have a relationship with a primary care physician, but I think just ha just having that local doctor, like a primary care doctor that knows you, 
knows your, that learns about your history, someone you can trust. Like, I hope that a lot of guys can, if they don't have that, can find that. And I wish that I had seen my, you know, before I got diagnosed, I probably had not had a physical or seen a doctor for, I don't know, it was quite a while. Um, and, and if I had, if I had been doing some of those checks, maybe I would have caught my colon cancer earlier before I was stage four. So, um, yeah, I think it's, I think this message that we're talking about right now about, about men having a, having a relationship with a doctor, or at least being able to see, you know, go, go see a doctor, even if you don't think anything's wrong, you know, especially if you're over 40. So yeah. So are there other, um, bullet points or results from the, the latest mention it survey, um, that you wanted to highlight? Yeah, definitely. So, you know, we talk about mental health, really almost half of men said that their mental health or emotional well-being had worsened during the pandemic. Uh, we found that actually uh, almost 60% of men felt that COVID-19 had a greater negative impact on their mental health than the 2008 recession did. Um, but the, the unfortunate thing was that two-thirds of men said that they rarely talk about the impact of COVID-19 on their mental health. So that goes back to you know how important it is for men to not bottle these things in. Mm. Uh, to discuss it with their support system, with their spouse, you know, and whatever other networks they may have. One of the really concerning aspects that we identified was that uh, about half of men reported that they had postponed um, routine medical care not related to COVID-19 during the pandemic. Uh, and that was actually more common among men who were younger in the range of about 18 to, you know, their mid-30s. Um, mm-hmm. The pandemic, you know, is something that we're all dealing with, but you can't be postponing routine medical care. I mean, it's, it's safe to come to the hospital. We're, you know, checking temperatures, providing personal protective equipment. Um, there's a huge increase in, in virtual health. Um, and, you know, I think that that's just another great resource that men have to get the care that they need. So what you're talking about is exactly what we've seen in our man up to cancer community with that double punch of isolation. A lot of men who are already kind of feeling isolated by going through cancer, especially if they're in active treatment, and then COVID comes along and and it just takes it up to a whole new level for for stress and isolation and not being able to do our normal routines. It's a lot. Absolutely. You know, going back to just normal routines and and, and specifically like exercise, let's say, about half of men uh, said that they felt less healthy, that they were exercising less, uh, you know, increased alcohol use, things like that. Um, interestingly, the other half of men actually reported that they felt healthier that maybe they had mm. because maybe they uh, were working from home. They had more time for exercise and and eating healthier and, uh, you know, things like that, sleeping more. Um, so there was definitely a mix, but a lot of men out there, uh, unfortunately, have had to change their habits uh, in a negative way. Right. You know, and I don't, Definitely not going to solve that problem today. I think, you know, my role in this is to try to use this platform to encourage folks to to stick together and, and to not go into their man caves and, and to stay healthy in, in all the ways of their life. So let's talk about cancer screening specifically. There, as we've referred to before, there are definitely some cultural barriers that prevent men from doing their screenings. Uh, most of all is what I sometimes call the invincibility illusion. Well, you know, cancer is for somebody else, not me. But there are some logistical barriers too. The most common one I hear is financial. People, you know, men will say, I don't have insurance or, you know, I can't afford it. I'll deal with my health if something goes wrong. And, and my message is always like, hey, preventive care, figuring that out and figuring out how to pay for it is a barrier and a challenge. But you know what's a hell of a lot worse? 
<laughs> going through cancer. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, so tell us your thoughts on some of the logistical barriers, particularly when it comes to finances and insurance. There are a lot of unfortunate, you know, barriers to a lot of men getting the healthcare that they need. Um, insurance for some men may be something that they can't afford. You know, there's a lot of opportunities in the in various communities out there for community health screening, sometimes which can be free of charge. Um, Good point. You know, yep. And and sometimes it does require some some difficult decisions. I mean, um, I see patients sometimes that will tell me they can't afford their medications, but then they're paying thirty bucks a week on cigarettes, or they have sure. to always have the newest iPhone. You know, at some point you really have to make that tough decision of investing in your health uh, relative to other things, and, and other people might not be able to, you know, just because they don't have the money even for that. But I think in those situations, getting an idea of what services are available in your community, are there any hospitals that offer, you know, community screenings and things like that? Um, there's always resources that can help you. Yeah. And I think that's the first step is to say like, so if you're a man in that, anyone who's listening out there and feeling like preventive care is going to be a logistical financial burden, you probably haven't asked what the resources are. Like you probably haven't asked for help. Like make that, like you just said, that was perfect. Like make it a priority. Um, go out into your community, find someone, you know, who works in the medical field and be like, you know what? I don't have insurance. I don't feel like I can pay per for preventive care, but I need to have a colonoscopy yeah. or I need to have, um, I need to do X, Y, and Z to make sure that I am healthy. I need to have my screenings. How do I, what resources are available to me to, Help me overcome those barriers and take care of my health. And talk to people in your network, you know, your friends, your coworkers, et cetera. You don't have to disclose specifically what issues you're dealing with, but you can ask, you know, where do you get your health care? Especially if it's a you know, matter of not having insurance, perhaps certain people in your network may have found some workarounds of ways that they can get the care that they need that you might be able to take advantage of as well. Excellent. Talk a little bit, if you could, about the patients that you see who are, can who are cancer patients or survivors um, what do you most often see folks who are impacted by cancer for? I'd say most commonly, you know, as somebody who focuses on male sexual dysfunction, I'm most often seeing men who have had prostate cancer treatment, uh, sometimes other, other cancer treatments that have affected their sexual function. Uh, most commonly that's erectile dysfunction. Uh, many men who are seeing me have already tried and failed oral medications like Viagra and Cialis. Um, yep. I also see some men, you know, a, a reasonable number of men that have, you know, even penile deformities that are related to a condition called Peyronie's disease. Uh, and sometimes that might be a contributing factor could have been prostate cancer treatment. So yeah, those are probably the two most common conditions. This overlaps a little bit with a talk that Kellen and I had, uh, Dr. Sharon Bober is director of sexual health program at Dana Farber. And we had her on for a couple shows and, and we talked about some of those issues as well when it comes to um, the impact of cancer, uh, particularly for, for prostate cancer um, survivors. But her, her message was just very hopeful and positive because um, I, I feel like and I, I feel like um, I want to ask you the same thing. I mean, talk to some of the the prostate guys out there in our group who maybe are feeling discouraged or feeling like, you know, they're unsure if there's any resources for them. Um, or that there's, there's help for them in terms of, you know, regaining their, their sex life and their sexual health. So one thing I see pretty commonly is men get, you know, really fixated on, uh, the fact that they are experiencing what they perceive as a complication of treatment. You know, this is not 
these are all things that are very common and happen to to some degree to almost all men that are going through these things. This is this is right. just another consequence of having cancer. Okay. And we can and, and these are all things that we can help with. If you're feeling discouraged, if oral medications aren't working, I mean there are a number of different treatment options. And sometimes you might need to get a couple opinions before you, you know, uh, find yes. the the solution that works for you. But I, I tell my men all the time, I mean, there's always a way that we can get you functional. Okay. There's, there's unfortunately not a lot I can do to get you the function that you had when you were 20 years old, but we can get you to a point where you can have a perfectly, you know, satisfactory sex life. I think that you would get up to the five out of five stars. That one tenth <laughs> would definitely get filled in if you could if you could deliver the the sex life of our twenty year old selves. That's that, that's what I tell guys all the time. If I could do that, there would be a line out the door around the building, <laughs> <laughs> and maybe we'll get there one day, but not quite yet. Oh, that's great. Um, I actually pulled a quote from from you from somewhere online. I'll read it back to you. I want you to talk about this a little bit. You say my favorite part of this job is making my patients feel comfortable talking about very intimate and often embarrassing sexual problems. And I think that just ties into what you were saying is that sometimes it's the stigma or the shame or the embarrassment that is that if, if we can just normalize these issues and these problems for people and, and let men know that there's no shame in seeking help around them and that they are not alone, you know, that's going to be a huge cultural breakthrough. But talk about that quote from yourself. Yeah, you know, I think the hardest thing for guys to do is – Get, get the appointment scheduled, get there, sit down and say that first sentence. And once they realize that I'm not going to smirk or judge them or anything like that, then the rest is just flows out normal, natural conversation. And we come up with a solution and we move forward from there. Uh, I don't want to understate how difficult it is to talk about these things, especially if it's not something you've ever talked with anybody about. But I mean, if, oh, if there's yes. somebody that you're going to talk to about a sexual problem, you know, a sexual dysfunction specialist is probably <laughs> the best person to talk to about it. Cause that's literally all I do every day is just talk to guys about this. So, and that's, that's why I'm here, uh, you know, to listen and to help. Um, so the guys should understand that, you know, especially if you're coming to see a urologist, we all do this, uh, you know, treat sexual dysfunction. Uh, you should feel comfortable. There's not going to be people whispering about you behind your back or anything like that. So how many people are out there similar to you. I, I guess I just don't have a sense of the lay of the land. Like I get, if someone's in the, in the, in the area of, and wants to see you at the Cleveland clinic, I imagine they could just reach out and try to set something up. But, but what about people all around the country? Are there, are there people who fill your roles in lots of other places or is it hard to find someone like you? So all urologists get trained to treat male sexual dysfunction. You know, it's a part of the training of all urologists. Now, uh, everybody sees various different things and how many men we're seeing a week with these problems varies from provider to provider. But I would say in most, you know, larger urban areas, there's going to be several people who really specialize in this area like I do. One of the things you can look out for when you're kind of reading about your providers online is whether they have fellowship training in sexual dysfunction, you know, other areas that focus on this that you might see listed like andrology, um, you know, uh, genital reconstruction, things like that. Uh, infertility, you know, deal, people who train in infertility deal a lot with this stuff as well. Unfortunately, there is still, especially with the aging population, a big need for more urologists. Um, yeah. And the subspecialists really are only a small fraction of that. But I think getting into the door with a urologist, you know, if it's something that they can't handle, they should be directing you to somebody with more expertise in that area. 
we have a large group at Cleveland Clinic, so we have several people that really kind of specialize in this area. Uh, so doing your research online, yeah. there's a lot of provider directories. For example, the Sexual Medicine Society of North America has a provider search of all people that are, that are members of that organization. Um, so there's a lot of great resources out there. Yeah, absolutely. It's super helpful. And I, I think, you know, and I hope from on, on your side, on the clinical side that, you know, if, if you uh, have guys that maybe could use that support group type of thing or that psychosocial piece of it, uh, I hope that you consider Man Up to Cancer as a resource. I mean, we, we are, we're growing, our group is growing. And the private group that we have on Facebook is a place where people do have those conversations. People come in and say, hey, you know, I've got this challenge. I have this problem. Is this something that other guys have gone through? And maybe for the first time, it's a place where they have reached out in that way. Right. Um, and, and then, and then, so we're in this great spot where we have a bunch of sort of veterans of the group at this point who will say, Hey, yeah, been there, done that. You know, you should go see Dr. Bayach at Cleveland <laughs> clinic. <laughs> and the other nice thing about, uh, nowadays we have virtual health is that even if you're in a rural area where you might not even have a urologist, you know, as long as you have internet access, you will have access to anybody who's offering virtual visits. So that, that's always an option and there's only going to be an increasing use of these services. And that's one thing. One definite silver lining of COVID has that has really pushed forward. There there was a lot of barriers with telehealth and and now it seems like a lot of those are coming down, hopefully permanently. I think we're heading in the right direction. There's still more work to be done increasing, you know, the uh, reach of some of these services to people out there, uh, but definitely heading in the right direction. Is there anything with the Cleveland Clinic, your practice, or uh, the Mention It campaign that you want to um, talk about before we uh, get into the gauntlet? I think we covered a lot of the most important details about the survey. If anybody's interested in reading more, uh, they could go to clevelandclinic.org slash mention it. Um, so that's clevelandclinic.org slash mention it. Yep. And then otherwise, you know, um, if anybody is not satisfied with you know, or an encounter they had with uh, their local urologist and maybe they don't have any alternative options. I mean, we do have our, our second opinion program available um, that you can do virtual visits for second opinions. So I'd encourage men who don't feel like they're making progress to get as many opinions as they need to before they, they kind of determine whether, you know, that's a reasonable assessment for what they have going on. Perfect. Well, thank you so much. It is now time for the gauntlet of random questions, because we need to take a break from the heavy stuff in cancer land. There's a lot of heavy stuff, <sighs> but we're going to lighten it up for a couple minutes. I'm going to run you through some totally random questions that have nothing to do with anything we've talked about for the past 40 minutes. Are you ready? Yes. What's your favorite sandwich? Probably a Reuben. Solid choice. Yeah. I, I have no comment on that other to say <laughs> five out of five stars. <laughs> Best recent Netflix binge. Ooh. Um, or Hulu or whatever your service. I would say... It's kind of an ongoing one, and it's not really a binge because I have to wait week to week. But okay. I've really been enjoying uh, WandaVision. Surprisingly, I kind of didn't. <laughs> I, I'm a big Marvel guy, but I, I, I'm surprised at how much I'm really enjoying it. And maybe it's just that I have to wait week to week, so I'm kind of like, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> always old eager, school. Like we, yeah. like that's how we, yeah, well, how we grew up. Although I think you're significantly younger than me. But um, if you could be any athlete in the world for one event. Who would you be? LeBron James, NBA Finals. <laughs> Hard <laughs> to argue. A, a Cle native Clevelander here, so. <sighs> yeah, wow, that was a good run. And if you could see one movie again for the first time, 
what would it be? Like just totally fresh. I would say Star Wars A New Hope. Nice. Yeah. I, I absolutely am on board. I think I was probably too young, you know, when I first saw it to really appreciate it. But I think as an adult, getting to see that for the first time must have been pretty awesome. Yeah, totally. All right, good. And lastly, for Dr. Bayich, the zombie apocalypse has arrived. Only you can save the world. What is your weapon of choice? Um, hmm, maybe a tank. <laughs> Beautiful. No one's used the tank before. You didn't go down the, the, the Carol Motika is the all-time uh, winner with this question with bug spray. Not, I, I still go back to that and wonder what the heck she's thinking. But um, I, you know what? I say a tank is, is perfectly appropriate for the zombie apocalypse. But it's got to come would, with unlimited gas is the only thing otherwise. Tank with unlimited gas I don't have to and unlimited out. ammo. Yeah. <laughs> Very good. You have saved the world. And you are saving the world. And um, in all seriousness, thank you for the work that you do. Thank you on behalf of, you know, a, a patient and active treatment with a, with a family going through this. Um, people like you are lifesavers. So thank you for all the work that you do and, and the impact you're having on the world. It's been great to meet you. I Now that we've had this first podcast, I have some other ideas on some, some future topics. So I hope maybe we could connect again down the road. Absolutely. And, you know, it's my pleasure to do what I do. I absolutely love what I do. And, um, you know, thank you for all of your efforts in engaging men and spreading the word. Um, thank you. And, you know, I, I hope you continue to do so for a very long time. I appreciate it, man. All right. That's the show for today. We'll talk to you next time. Take care, everyone. Thanks for listening to the Man Up to Cancer podcast. If you want to get behind our mission, you can connect with us, subscribe to our email list, and check out our other content at manuptocancer.com. And if you know a man struggling with the isolation that cancer can bring, let him know about us. The Wolfpack doors are always open. Thank you.